It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Tuesday, August 10th. I am indeed Paul, and my co-host from Rocky Top and the Ball Network is my good friend Brandon Parks. Good morning, Brandon. Less than 30 days to kick off, my man. Good morning, Paul. Uh, you're right. It's less than 30 days, and for us college sports marketers, it's a time to get nervous. Um, if you've not got everything done and complete at this point, uh, it will certainly be a rush to kick off. But generally speaking, what a great time of year. Um, August to me is always a fantastic time of year because you do have practice that's starting back. There is new hope for every team across the country. Everyone remains undefeated right now. And in our world, uh, it's exciting to, to see everything that you've worked on essentially for a year or longer, um, getting very close to being ready to be activated. Um, and so it's certainly an exciting time. And then you layer in on top of that. Uh, coming off this weekend, the um, uh, NFL pro, or the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, induction ceremonies. Um, certainly on Rocky Top, we were uh, anxiously and, and uh, excitedly watching Peyton Manning uh, deliver another stellar speech. It's nice for Tennessee players to get in. I mean, we've got so many Seminoles in there. It's really probably kind of special for you to get, you know, one or two. Tennessee guys to sneak in under the wire. So good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about it in the office earlier today. We have Doug Atkins and and Reggie White, who both unfortunately are no longer with us. So Peyton becomes the the one living um, member of the Hall of Fame uh, for for Tennessee. You know, and I think I think we have some other guys that 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 will get in there. Jason Witten, obviously, is a tight end, has been unbelievable in the in the pro game. And you'll see him get in. But, you know, Peyton is such an ambassador, not not just for Tennessee or the NFL or Newman uh, High School down in, in New Orleans. He's just an ambassador for the game. And, you know, leave it up to Peyton to give a speech where it was more of a presentation, I think, is what I heard on the NFL Network. Um, and it was more of a call to action, um, which is just Peyton-esque. And, and he did – a masterful job of honoring all of the the inductees in his class, the previous class, and then those that have been in there for some time now. Uh, but just um, uh, great stuff to watch, and again, just an exciting time of year uh, with uh, with with college athletics and football in the fall. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're we're going to, quote unquote, get back to normal. Well, I'm glad you're excited because uh, at Knox Sports, this is a, a time of pure and raw panic as uh, we've got Deals all over the country with 1680 schools all starting to kick in. And uh, and as much as we've been trying and trying and trying to get our clients in the schools ramped up, it seems like every year, this is about the time that everyone says, oh, whatever, expletive. Uh, we are yeah. uh, we are not even close to being what we need to be uh, with uh, two to three weeks before it's all due. So it's just a uh, raw and adulterated panic here. So I'm glad that you're so calm and happy. And I'm glad that everyone well, at Rocky Top is lovely. Things, things below the surface may look different, and it does. Um, I think it's always fascinating when you get to the July 4th holiday and you come back off of that holiday, um, and it's like everyone that you have been trying to reach out to and to communicate with and to meet with 
it's like this alarm goes off in their head that, oh my goodness, the next holiday we'll be playing college football. Yeah. And it, it is exciting. And, and, it, and it means there's a lot of activity going on. And I'll take all that anxious, nervous energy any day of the week because it's better than the alternative, which is you don't have anything going on. Yeah, so, that's, that's, you're um, right about that. So today... I, I'm always the cup half full guy, Paul. I know you are. <laughs> I'm happy that you are. Um, today we're going to be revisiting a topic for the first time because we have a better understanding. We're going to talk about NIL, uh, which is... Uh, Still, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go. My, I'm gonna start this with a rant again. You know, the NCAA, the cracks kind of were became fissures uh, when they could not bring Miami and Carolina and LSU and all the other schools that had incredible amounts of malfeasance. And the NCAA, at the, two three years ago, had a chance to wipe them all out and to do amazing things and and basically punish all these schools for what they did wrong. They did none of those things because they were kind of neutered. That was the first sign. Uh, the next sign was kind of NIL, where maybe 18 months ago they had a chance to not be an ostrich uh, and to say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna take control of this thing. And they could have. They could have said, okay, we're gonna make it so that every athlete has a chance to get some money because we think they should, and we're gonna put it all in a fund for them, and we're gonna let them have it when they graduate, which would have made it a, a education based. Uh, opportunity, which would have furthered the purpose of the NCAA, as they call themselves. And hell, they could have even done something where they allow kids to get money on a monthly basis. Maybe they get a stipend of an additional 250 based on their earnings. They could have done everything they could to control it. They did um, nothing. And then because they did nothing on NIL, it was like bang, bang, bang. The next domino hit was that they decided that the conferences were going to control football and the only thing they were going to hang on to was really basketball, which is their golden goose. And then we get into this conference realignment mess, which we can use another podcast for. But those three things happening incredibly quick succession showed the NCAA was basically out of the football business. Uh, and and that's what we get. We get NIL was then thrust upon us as states and the national legislatures decided to give it uh, to give it a make it a reality. And so every state's got new laws, every state's got different laws, every school's got different laws, and everyone's trying to, to figure out how to make this thing uh, work in their world. So that's NIL, uh, and, and, but you're on the ground, Brandon, so I'm going to let you kind of lead off uh, because it's here. It ain't going anywhere. It's only going to be a matter of control now, it's, and, and now you are dealing with it. So tell me your initial impressions, and let's dive in. Sure. Um, and you teed it up perfectly. I think not, and not just at Tennessee or at Florida State. I think across the country, because this was rushed to market on July first so quickly, you have a lot of schools who who were having discussions, who were having internal committee meetings, who were seeking outside advice, trying to determine exactly what the framework looks like, what do, what are the guardrails that are set up with it, and it was rushed to market so quickly that a lot of schools really have been scrambling to try to come up with a strategy uh, that can work for the student athletes, but then also protect the interest of the university. Uh, and so I think in a lot of ways, um, we've ran straight to market with this and, and the genie is out of the bottle, um, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, and it's gonna be very difficult to, to then try to tighten down what those guardrails look like. Exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. So I, I would say 
one, that's challenging at, at, on the front end. Secondly, you, you nailed it. NIL is here to stay. And while whether you agree with it or not, and whether you, you believe it's good for the game or good for athletics or good for college, uh, regardless, it's here. So we have to figure out how we can manage it. Uh, uh, open how, parentheses, I how believe we, all that's terrible for the game. Close parentheses, go. Uh, and I knew your feelings uh, in advance. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, uh, how, how do we manage it on a go-forward basis? And, and I think now that, um, now that it is live and active, we've had a chance to digest some of the things that maybe on the front end we had no idea or very little information as to how it would impact the world of college sports marketing. So that being said, a couple things internally. So if, if you're if you're the head coach of the football team or you're the head coach of the basketball team or the swimming and diving team, the coaches and teams want to see their their student athletes be able to prosper from NIL. Right. Uh, because everything goes back to recruiting. And you do not want to be looked at as a school or institution who can't deliver on the NIL side of things. And when I say deliver, I should really say that the market that your university is within, that market can't deliver on NIL because it will be used against you in recruiting. Absolutely. Uh, do, you, do you think it was any dumb luck that Coach Nick Saban at SEC Media Days uh, came out and talked about how much money his starting quarterback, who's not started the first game yet, how much money he had already generated at NIL? I, I think that was purposefully mentioned because it's a way to get ahead in recruiting Hey, if you come to Alabama, these are the kinds of opportunities that you will see come your way. Right. Uh, I thought that was very purposeful. Yeah. Um, so, and the Pac-10 was that, really happy to hear it too. They really, really—I know three or four coaches that said how excited they were that Saban is giving those numbers out. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's part of the game, and again, we're going to have to live with it. And so, I understand within the athletics department, if you're if you're with a specific team then you want your student athletes to prosper as much as they possibly can. Again, that affects you in recruiting. Now, on the other side of that, within the athletics department and, and within what we do on the multimedia rights side of things, we have to protect our corporate partners and those that are investing significant dollars with, with a Learfield, which, which then indirectly goes back to the school in the form of the rights fees, uh, but for those companies that are investing on an annual basis with us uh, to gain intellectual property rights usage and those kinds of things, we have to protect the investments that they make. And so some of the discussion, a lot of the discussion that continues to go on even today uh, is around a student athlete NIL agreement and whether that student athlete has any access or rights to the intellectual property rights of the school themselves. And what's the so, answer? and so the answer is varying based on the university and the athletics department that you're working with. Is it really there? I have the answer yes, is different I, based on schools. Yes. I have seen, I have seen some schools who will allow a student athlete to use an image of themselves in their uniform with photography that's taken from the institution. So that's the institution's intellectual property. I have seen some schools allow their student athletes to use that imagery, which then includes the school's official mark. Uh, I've seen other schools that have said, no, we're going to, we're going to protect that. 
Why a school wouldn't do that is beyond me. You are absolutely killing yourself if you're a school letting a guy do anything other than show up. I, I can understand using the number because that, that was the pro model for a million years is that if you were, mm -hmm. if you're Peyton Manning and you're playing for the Indianapolis Colts, you can have yourself and your number, but you can't have the school's colors and you can't have the, you can't have the team colors or the marks, but go ahead, Brandon. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just can't believe it. No, and you, but you're spot on. Um, and I, I've used the Eli Manning example a ton. There was a campaign that he did where he showed up in his football uniform, but it was obviously not a New York Giants football uniform, but it was something close, but it didn't have any kind of marks on it. And I would say we'll probably, I'd say a lot of schools will probably look to the NFL model and how they manage those things. Uh, and what's permissible and what's not permissible. So at Tennessee, uh, do they allow athletes to have their uniform on in a, in a shot? Currently, no. That, well, that's the right answer. Currently, no. If um, a school does, they're, shooting, they're, they're going to have to go backwards because there's no way that a rights holder anywhere across the country can live with that. that no, that, it's exactly right. Um, and, and so basically what, what Tennessee has said is you as the student athlete own your name, image, and likeness. That does not give you the chance to piggyback or extend those rights to the school's intellectual property. Um, and it's for all the reasons that we've not said, but we or we've not said in detail, but we have discussed is you're trying to protect the corporate partner model that's in place at each university and each school. And there's a significant rights fee that's paid towards that, those assets. And if you dilute that or devalue that, then ultimately that's less money that's coming in through the athletics department. That affects them from a bottom line budget perspective. I mean, if you, um, if you allow a student athlete or a group of student athletes to use the marks at all, you know, every single time we do a deal, I think the funniest part of every negotiation is when the school looks at us in the eye and says, okay, this is what you're paying for IP. And it's, it's laughable, right? In some schools, it could right. be 20, 30, 50, 100, whatever the number is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amorphous number that, that based on the value of the school, and, and we all know that it's a, it's a silly number. You do it as well, and you figure it's category-driven. We've talked about this. It, it, it is what it is. But that number is garbage, if you let a if you let a student athlete go to the competitor and be able to use the marks, I mean it, it, that, yeah. that IP number is pure garbage. When you get when you dive into more of the, the specific details on this, um, and, and at Tennessee, our model has always been less is more. Um, so it takes a higher spin to access our primary mark, the Power T, and to be able to use it in in marketing. And the, and the thought has always been. If you see it in fewer places with fewer partners, that it has more value. That's true. Um, and so that has been our that's been our model that we've that we've consistently used. And some other places are more liberal uh, and allow the the marks to be used more frequently. And and some of it comes down to just your your philosophy. Um, but you're right. If 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 we then come off of our model and allow a student athlete to do a, uh, to do an agreement with a company and $2,500 later, they've accessed the school's intellectual property rights, then we lose big. It's unbelievable. Uh, and, and that's why I can't, when you just, I mean, that was new information for me. I have not come across a school right now that has let athletes uh, have their, have their Jersey on uh, or use the marks. That, that, that's crazy. That, I mean, you are, yeah, I, you are just shooting yourself in the foot. 
and you're going to see it in the fall. I think we'll we'll probably be able to come back and talk about it a little bit later in the fall when some of these campaigns roll out. Um, but again, it it is that that, and I don't I don't want to call it a tug of war, but it is that conversation that's going on within within the athletics departments where where you have coaches and teams who are trying to maximize what their student athletes can do, but then you also have administrators who are trying to protect the interest of the athletics department as a whole. And so you're trying to find common ground as much as you can. So I I would say we're doing as much protecting as we can right now. But then secondly, and it's a whole other conversation to put a more positive spin on it, when you look at who the corporate partners are at each institution, it should then become an opportunity to, to then create another layer of, of sponsorship engagement. I get it. And, so if you, and, right. Which is where we were going next. Right. Brandon, you said, so if you've got client X, uh, insurance company X, that, that is already a huge sponsor, they have the marks, they have the IP rights. And they say, you know what, when we do a renewal, if I can get these, three athletes, one from each of these key sports, and they can be, we can add another 50 grand to my deal, then you're able to roll through it. Maybe the athletes get five apiece, you make another 25, 35, whatever that is, and you move on. That's, that's the opportunity to, to upsize. Right. And, and, and I will say, though, the conversation gets really complicated because as we understand it right now, um, we are not permitted as a third-party contract rights holder to the school. We're not permitted to negotiate NIL deals. So the sponsor basically at our direction, hey, you need to reach out through social media to this student athlete if you want to use him. Here are some here's some advice or here's ways that you may be able to use him, but we can't be part of that negotiation or that discussion. Is that a Learfield question um, or is that a Tennessee question? Uh, I, th- I think it's both right now. That's what I'm asking because um, I, I, I heard the same thing from from other schools that are Learfield properties that they are not afforded the opportunity to be brokers here, which I, I get, understand. It actually makes it more difficult for y'all because then you're just kind of you're not even moving money around. You're just saying if you want to go down this path, this is how you do it. But by not managing the process at all, it it, it does make it dangerous. It does, and and I think some of this goes back to exactly what the language looks like in your state law. Um, Tennessee state law dives in specifically on uh, entities that can have discussions with student athletes and um, addresses the university's role. And again, as a third party contract rights holder, um, we fall into some of the language of the state agreement. So so you, you do have to go back to the to the state law. Um, but, you know, we've had a ton of questions about it from corporate partners. Uh, and I'll give you a great example. Uh, our banking partner called and said, hey, we have an activation that we do in pregame prior to all Tennessee home football games. What is our ability and is it permissible for us to go and sign an agreement with six kids off the basketball team, have them come to Vol Village and sign autographs? And can we do that because that is an official activity of the University of Tennessee? Uh, or could we sign a basketball player to voice a 30-second spot that, that we then air during your programming, which is the University of Tennessee's programming? So there's, there's all these complementary opportunities that are available to corporate partners, and you hope that it's beneficial for them. But to be honest, because it is so new, we've not gotten enough down that path answering questions because we're still in protection mode. Right. 
um, right. where, which is where we have spent the majority of our time. Yeah. And I, I get that. I'm going to give you another example. That, that's a nice example. That's just, that's an example of a, of a, of a, one of your clients saying, Hey, I want to go to the next level. I'd like to do this, which is the, that's the perfect situation for you. That's not the ambush. That that's the out front. Uh, let me give you another example of something that's, that it's a little bit different and, and made me, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have, uh, we have a, a couple hospital clients, but one of our hospital clients, you know, when we're negotiating a deal, one of the things that when you deal with hospitals, I'm sure you have, they are, they are used to, because they've spent the last 30 years doing this, is they have athletes that volunteer to come and visit, you know, the, the pediatric cancer ward or whatever the, uh, you know, the geriatric ward. They're going to the hospital to visit people. It's a wonderful thing. It happens in every bowl game in the history of bowl games, right? Well, that can't happen now because athletes can't go on their own time and visit a hospital without an NIL. So that I'm wondering how that works itself out. <laughs> you know, that if you've got a group right. of athletes that are just genuinely wonderful people and they want to go to a hospital because that's what they want to do with their free time, how does that work? Because that's a, that's, a that's a bad look. For the NIL world, that a group of athletes that that are you know that teams that are used to doing this as part of their altruism that they do in the community can't do it now. That that that's not good. No, uh, it's it's not good. And you would think there would be some latitude for philanthropic community initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that you know, is. Commu- maybe you do. I don't know what that. What- I, no, I I don't. I don't. Again, I, I think there when you're scratching the surface of NIL there has been so many more pressing issues and discussion points that we've not dug down far enough to, to tap into a conversation like that. Um, you, you know, our, our student athletes here have done a lot of great work at children's hospital, East Tennessee children's hospital, uh, doing hospital visits. And so, you know, is that, does that become non-permissible moving forward or, or do they expect compensation for that? Um, one of the, one of the most complicated areas, around NIL that we found almost immediately uh, has to do with uh, CLC and licensing and product licensing. And, and it really it's in two ways. If we take the stance that the student athlete cannot use the school's intellectual property rights, how do we manage a conversation if you have a 100% Tennessee fan shop who who essentially is open 365 days a year, 24 seven selling Tennessee licensed product who are making this significant investment in infrastructure, their existence, their entire investment existence to be in business is to promote the university of Tennessee and to sell licensed products. So the question becomes uh, if, and I'm going to use alumni hall because, because they have 16, 18 markets where, where they're doing business representing schools and selling product. Sure. If they sign an NIL agreement with a student athlete, can that student athlete wear licensed merchandise in any type of promotional efforts? Because what does the licensed merchandise have? It has the school's official marks on it. Right. Yeah, that's a mess. And <laughs> that that becomes a complicated discussion. And then likewise, if a um, we use Yeti coolers, for example, if they have a licensed Yeti cooler that's in the market that has the school mark on it, can the student athlete appear in marketing and promotional efforts that include the product itself, which has the school mark on it. And that, that one becomes much more complex and different and, and unique. 
and we're going to have to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, you um, see that, the group that's licensing a complicated deals scenario. It's happened already the last couple of weeks. There's been two schools that have done group licensing deals, right? Michigan and Ohio State have both done group licensing deals where they're, all of their student athletes on the various teams are going to somehow benefit from what happens at the team store with uniform sales. I, okay, I, I can see that, but that's your, what you're asking is a step further. Okay, so now those, guys, those, those athletes are all benefiting, but what if individual athletes were contracted by the team store to endorse? Then can they use the marks and logos when Ohio State and Michigan have determined, much like Tennessee, that the athletes don't have the rights to use the marks and logos when they endorse? It is. Holy smokes. And this is why this is a mess. This is why when you said it came to market too early, yes, because every state has their own individual law that makes it unique for that state and that school to monitor. And so Nick Saban can talk all he wants, but I guarantee that everyone in Alabama is looking the other way so that Alabama can do everything they want so they can recruit. Meanwhile, maybe the state of California, maybe USC and UCLA are so restricted in their NIL execution in California that they can't. It's got to straighten itself out. It's got to have sameness. And I'm sure the athletic directors are crying to the heavens that they want sameness too. They don't want the Wild West any more than we do. Right. And it, and it somewhat is the Wild West. Um, take it a step further in recruiting. I think you'll see schools that are represented within certain states that, that do not have a state income tax. They will use that against states who does have a state income tax. Absolutely. And, Why not? And, I mean, and will Syracuse yeah. ever get another NIL? Right. <laughs> they well, got nine taxes and, in the state of New York. And then is that is that going to be from a from a government perspective? Is it going to be treated the same as professional athletes who have to pay taxes in multiple states because they are playing in multiple states? Yeah. Wow. So from an accounting standpoint, it gets it becomes really complicated. Circling back on the on the retail side of things, uh, and I'm not sure if Ohio State or Michigan has addressed this yet, but when do we say do we see retailers who go to market with jerseys or t-shirt jerseys that then have the student athlete's name on the back yeah i mean it, it, and, and it's, how is that addressed great i mean it's and because you you know you were iconic numbers but you never had a name you know it was only right. and, and so that that's just what it was it's yeah Brandon, but i mean we, major we, major major league baseball has made a fortune i specifically think about the atlanta braves going into a team shop for the atlanta braves and every player has their own jersey, their T-shirt that looks like a jersey that has their name on the back, and 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 that has that has done so well in the professional sports. And you can easily see a scenario where there could be a licensing um, agreement that's set up where the schools receiving a licensing fee, their normal royalties, but then the student athlete gets a percentage of royalty. Uh, because their name is being used. That's right. Um, and it will be the most expensive T-shirt you have ever purchased uh, <laughs> well, when, when all things are brought together. Well, go, let's go back to the big picture, Brandon, because that's ultimately what you know. I think people that listen to us care about, and that is that number. So when you talk about your rights fee, you know, let's imagine, let's just pretend for a second it's a dollar, and you go to renegotiate that deal in two years. Where are you today in terms of percentage? Does this does the NIL ultimately take you down five percent? Does it take it down ten percent, twenty percent? I know it can't increase the number. You can't say to the school, "Oh, absolutely, this is going to help us increase revenue." Or maybe I'm just wrong. No, it it doesn't increase revenue because all the incremental revenue essentially is driven to the student athlete. Right. Um, at, at first. Now, I think there are some creative conversations around that 
on the on the positive side where if you did have a student athlete who was talking to a company who was not involved with the school you could potentially leverage a conversation to say hey understand you want to sign this nil agreement with this student athlete it does not permit you the opportunity to to use the school's intellectual property unless you are a partner and so the question becomes are are there a group of prospects out there who would be willing to sign up as a sponsor of the school to gain the intellectual property rights usage that they can then marry with the nil agreement um and you know to some extent we're still working through can we marry all those for current partners, for instance? Um, we're still working through that. Uh, so that's that's on the positive side. If decisions are made and there are some schools who permit student athletes to use intellectual property, then I think I think there will be conversations on campuses with rights holders about decrease in diluted values. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any way around it. Um, and, and if you go down that road, like you're right, Brandon, if they, if there are schools out there that say that somehow just let it go and just say athletes are allowed to use Mark's logos, athletes are allowed to appear in their uniforms and their rights fee doesn't plummet, then holy smokes, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, well, seen... and, the, and the math, the math doesn't work no. because you, you could be, you could be a $15 million sponsorship property. And if you dilute the market to the extent that we're talking about, you could easily see a scenario where your current partners come back to the table and say, Hey, what's the value that I'm paying for to own the intellectual property rights? If it's available for $2,500 or $5,000 or even, or even $20,000. Right. And so then all of those deals become smaller and you almost reset yourself in the sponsorship world to where you may be dropped from 15 to 10 or 12. Well then obviously the rights fee is going to be smaller. That's right. I mean, we, and this is another podcast too. We have two schools in the last three months that have gone in-house, um, gone back in-house, I should say, Nebraska uh, and Clemson. Uh, Nebraska was a, a legendary longtime Learfield property. Uh, Clemson uh, had had a, a bunch of right holders in the last eight to nine years, and they've gone back in-house. They were in-house when we first, first started working with them 10, 12 years ago. Both of them have gone in-house at a time when NIL is showing up on the horizon. And, and in the case of Clemson, you're talking about you know, last year they thought the most highest valued NIL product in the country was Trevor Lawrence. Well, they're, it's not exactly uh, doomsday there. They've got a bunch of guys on that squad right now that probably are worthy of a lot of NIL money as well. So that, that those, those in-house decisions had to be made with the thought that here's our current rights fee. Here's where we think it could be if we do a better job. You don't go in-house to lose money. Um, and over the way, NIL is here. When that money's going out the door. So it, it is really interesting to see from a rights fee perspective what is coming. And I, I think you nailed it. It, it. Schools have got to control the IP or this is a disaster for them. And, and the schools that don't, I just don't see how you can't, I don't see how you go back two years later after you've left this gone for a, a period of time and say, we're, we're taking that back. I'm sorry, we're taking that back. Oh my gosh, what a disaster right. that is as well. Well, and, and a couple, and again, it's it's probably a, another podcast that we could have, but a couple thoughts on taking things in house. Um, you know, first of all, though, I would love to learn more about what what Clemson and Nebraska are doing from from an administrative standpoint, because if you look at the at the property levels, what, what Paul, you've got five to ten full time staff members at the majority of all these properties across the country, and 
it's easy on the front to look at it and say, well, well, we could bring this in house and we could hire the current staff or we could hire a new staff. But behind the scenes, I'll tell you, we have an army of, of people at Learfield who support us from an administrative standpoint with legal accounts payable, accounts receivable, all the things that it takes to run the business. So while we may be a non-person staff here, there's probably collectively 30 to 40 people that touch this property internally that help it go. Yeah. So, so how do you fully transition over to an athletics department? Um, and then, um, you know, another podcast down the road that we can dive into is how all of this then impacts these current conference realignment discussions That's right. and, and, and the ballooning of a TV rights fee that each school is going to get. So, well, it's good. It's, it's, it, and we can, we can stop there because we probably need to, but I, I think you're right in that the rights fee is so far and away the most important number that maybe the, this part of it, our little tiny world, which is the rights fee that not the TV rights fee, but the marketing rights fee, if it does shrink a little bit, the TV rights fee will take care of it because the interest will be there. And I think that's what they hope. They hope that with 50 schools that matter, as opposed to 110 schools that matter, that the TV rights fees are going to go to the point where our little 10, 12, 15, $20 million a year that comes in from this can go down to eight to 10 to 12. And it won't matter because the TV rights fees are so high. But anyway, that's NIL today. Brandon, any other final thoughts on this loveliness? No, I think we've we've dove in pretty well. We've gone over on our normal allotted time, but uh, great conversation. Um, again, we don't necessarily have all the answers, and I think it's a conversation that's going to continue because it's, again, the guardrails are so wide. But, um, you know, again, as we discussed at the very top, it's it's here, and and we have to find a way to manage it. Um, and we try, you know, and we're, we're in a race to try to help our, our specific teams, but then also manage the boundaries of the athletics department to ensure that, that the value across the board is being delivered as it should. Yeah, no, you're right. And I'm glad that you guys at least it sounds like your guardrails are, uh, are solid. I, I'm scared about what's happening across the country. But anyway, thank you again, Mr. Parks. Uh, so on behalf of Brandon, I am Paul Sick with Knox Sports. We thank you for listening to another issue of Knox Talk. See you next time.